Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast. I'm feeling a bit under the weather today. A change of seasons cold I got from my three-year-old daughter. Nothing major. Um, and I feel like I get it every other September, but it's just annoying. So if I sound like I have a clothes pin on my nose, that's why. But it's just um, you know a little bit of a scratchy throat that turns into a runny and stuffy nose, which turns into a cough that seems to last for weeks. But... Um, it's not so bad. It could be worse. Now, I'm going to jump right in. What I'm about to say is incredibly judgmental, and it's not in the spirit of tolerance. It's probably unfair and insensitive to at least some degree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give those disclaimers, all right? I'm an evolving human being. I'm trying to get better, but I still have plenty of gaps. So here's what I'm going to say. If you exceed a certain coverage area of tattoos on your body, or if you have any tattoos on your neck or face, a la Mike Tyson, to me it indicates a certain level of emotional instability or craziness. It just does. I know mental health is something as a nation we need to be sensitive about and pour more resources into, so I am not advocating ostracizing anybody who might fit into this description. I'm just saying, as a warning to anybody who's considering a confrontation with a person with these tattoos, don't do it. Now, my wife has a tattoo. I have friends with tattoos, men and women. I considered getting one at some point, and I wouldn't rule it out in the right spot with the right message. And I actually will say something very positive about people with tattoos below the level described. They signal a certain level of creativity, of open-mindedness, and fun. Now, interpret that as you may. Malcolm Gladwell, who many of you probably know is a well-known journalist, public speaker, and often focuses on the social science topics. I'm a big fan of his work. I've read most of his books, and in his book, Blink, he talks about this concept in psychology and philosophy called thin slicing. Now, thin slicing is a term used to describe the ability to find patterns in events based only on thin slices or narrow windows of experience. The term means making very quick inferences about the state, characteristics, or details of an individual or situation with minimal amounts of information. They're brief judgments based on thin slicing, and they're similar to those judgments based on more information. Now, judgments based on thin slicing can be as accurate or even more accurate than judgments based on more information. That's according to studies. Now, we all do this every day, multiple times a day as we navigate the world. I think it's partially cognitive and partially spiritual. And I think it goes into what is commonly referred to as our quote-unquote intuition. So, moral of the story, if somebody has tattoos over more than 35 to 40% of their body, avoid confrontation with them. They're probably unstable. Now, speaking of avoiding confrontations, I will talk about one at the end of the episode that I had. And at almost 38 years old with a growing family, I should be avoiding these. NFL week two to week three bridge coming up next. So coming up on the pod today, there's a few things on my mind as we approach week three. High level as it relates to the money position of quarterback in the NFL Included in there is a guy I find to be incredibly overrated and a guy that I find on the other side of it to be 
underrated. I'll then recap some of what I talked about last week, including my picks um, at the end with the ham sharp hot butter knife against the spread picks for week three. And I'm going to conclude by recapping the road rage story that I alluded to and end with a rant, as always. So let's start with Eli Manning. It was announced earlier this week by Pat Shermer, Giants head coach, who I'm not shy about saying is an absolute wretched dead coach walking, that you know that I think is about six months away from being the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears or the Houston Texans. But Shermer announced that he is inserting his guy, number six pick overall, Daniel Jones, out of Duke into the lineup this week at quarterback as the Giants try to salvage their season at 0-2 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this line opened up at minus 6.5 for the Bucs um, and is holding relatively steady. I've seen it drop to 6 in some places. It opened at 4 originally before this announcement, jumped up 2.5 points toward Tampa Bay. Now, Daniel Jones looked like he had a little spice in the preseason. Yes, it's the preseason, but he moved the ball, he looked the part, put up some points. Now, when we've seen this in the recent past, when we've seen early returns like that, it usually bodes well. Examples are Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. Now, I don't have a hot take on how this game is going to go. I'm really excited to watch it. But I want to talk about Eli Manning for a second. Now, I'm first going to say that my lovely wife, Jennifer, is going to kick my ass for this. Jen is going to be on a a podcast probably coming up in the next week or two. Now, Jen is a fervent Giants fan. She will admit that she's not some diehard who watches every snap, but she's extremely passionate anytime she watches the Giants and has followed the team since her childhood where she grew up in a, in a very much Giants household, loving the Giants. Now, she's going to want to come on this pod, as I mentioned, um, and attempt to debate me on several NFL topics. Um, now, I'm going, to start, I'm going to start off nice when it comes to Eli. I think Eli Manning will be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And what he did against the Patriots twice, it's remarkable. It's truly remarkable. I think Eli is clutch as hell. And I think he's in the top three to five, maybe even still now, but certainly within the last few years, of who I would trust in the NFL to execute a two-minute drill. The end of a game, end of a half. And without looking at any data, I would put Tom Brady ahead of him and probably Mahomes and, and Russell Wilson. That's about it. Now, Eli is a, is a two-time Super Bowl winner and MVP. Super Bowl MVP. But if the Hall of Fame is more than just a place to recognize great storylines and actually has a standard for, for excellence, Eli Manning should not be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame after he hangs it up in the next couple of years. And there's this romanticism that Giants fans get swept up in around this concept. I think it's the reason why the Giants who should have gone into rebuild mode for years. I think it's the reason why why the Giants, culturally from fans to beat reporters, to the ownership, to other media who cover them, cannot let go of Eli Manning being this hero and being more valuable than he is and the Giants then being viable as a team. Listen, this isn't everybody, but it's more people than it should be. Let's look at the case for him versus the case against him. Now, I've spoken on, on this podcast before about my college text thread, The Jackals. Now, now on The Jackals, uh, we, we tend to get in a very heated um, 
heated debates uh, about the NFL in particular. You know, the most recent one I cited was the Mahomes or Trubisky position. I'm not. I'll. I'll. I'm certainly waiting and biding my time to jump on um, my side of that one and and uh, and rubbing that in a little bit. But for now, um, you know, two of us, as far as this this topic go, think he will probably get into um, the Hall of Fame, but it's not definite, and that he doesn't really deserve it, or he might not deserve it. I'm going to say he doesn't deserve it, but the two of us think that he's he's not definite and he doesn't really deserve it. The other three think he either definitely will and that he should get in uh, or that he should get in or both. Now, those of him have used the following – those who feel, who feel that way have used the following arguments with, with, with Eli Manning. Well, you know, he has you know, name brand recognition. Uh, that's, that's one of their arguments. That he won – Two Super Bowls, that's number two. Two Super Bowl MVPs, that's number three. And then four, he's the only quarterback in the, in the history of the NFL to defeat an 18 0 team. I mean, name brand recognition, really? The Giants have only seven more players as primary contributors in the Hall of Fame than the Cardinals do. The, the Detroit Lions have 20 players in. This isn't fucking McDonald's. You know, the induction process isn't driving down the highway looking for lunch and seeing the Golden Arches. I think that's a flimsy argument. Then let's talk about the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVPs. I think there are components of the same argument. The MVP argument is stronger, but there's some redundancy there. And the, and the fact that they're the only team to beat an at patch team, as I mentioned, remarkable feat. But after the Eagles... 2017-2018 victory in the Super Bowl against them. They long they no longer can have the claim to fame as Brady's kryptonite. All right? Now let's look at the argument against Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. He's 116 and 116 as a starter, right at 500. He is a 60% completion percentage for his career. In a in a in a very like been very much a passing league. He has three years or more of 20 interceptions and 241 for his career versus 362 touchdowns, which is barely a 1.5 ratio of touchdowns to interceptions. And you compare that to his two fellow draft day, uh, 2004 draft day comparables, Phillip Rivers has a 2.1 ratio. Even Big Ben, who's known as someone being more interception prone, has a 1.9 ratio. Eli Manning has five losing seasons in the last six years. He has three NFC titles in 15 seasons. He's never been a top five player at his position in a given year, and he only has four Pro Bowls in 15 seasons. He's never been considered a top quarterback in the league at any point in time. You know, now that he has been benched you you have been people have been talking about teams that would trade for him i mean give me a break it's a joke when you go through even those teams those situations like this romanticism that eli is still any good or he's better than these these younger options they're just less well known now sports handicappers often contemplate betting line replacement value of quarterbacks now it's a function of both the quarterback ability that we're talking about the starter and the backup Now, the top seven in the league are Aaron Rodgers, seven and a half points, 
is what he would create as far as his value. Patrick Mahomes, seven, uh, along with Russell Wilson and Tom Brady tied for second. And then fifth is Carson Wentz and, and uh, Phillip Rivers at six and a half. And seventh is, is, is Drew Brees. So those names all sound pretty reasonable, I hope, to, to everyone. Now, Eli Manning going into this month was the only quarterback on that list of starters where the Giants would gain a point if he's benched. And it looks like it's already starting to happen in Vegas. So Eli Manning seems like a solid guy, even keeled, durable. I rooted for him in 2007 against the Patriots as if I were a lifelong Giants fan because I hate the Patriots as a Jets fan. But don't tell me he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer. I can respect him and like him and tip my hat to his grit, his toughness, and his clutch nature. Now, he deserves to be in the Giants' ring of honor, but I don't think he deserves to be in Canton. Contrasting an overrated and underrated player next. Let's talk about a couple guys. One guy I think is overrated and one guy I think is underrated. Now, we're going to first start with uh, Matt Ryan, known as Matty Ice. He's often thrown, very often thrown into the into a elite quarterback discussion. Top seven, top eight. Most people seem like they f- feel like he's top 10. Now, coming into the, the year, this is, you know, as far as like lists like the pro football focus list. Um, but from my opinion, Matt Ryan, I think he's a paper tiger on a team that's a paper tiger. Let's, let's, let's have a look into his career. Let's dig into his career a little bit. In 2016, when they represented the NFC in the Super Bowl, he had a banner year. He was first team all pro. And he was just a few bad offensive series and play calls away from being a Super Bowl champion, holding off the Patriots' comeback as the Falcons choked away a 28-3 lead in the third quarter. Now, he had a great year that year. Even last year, he had over 4,900 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions with a 69% completion percentage. He was a fantasy hero, but his team sucked. They started off 4-9, ended up 7-9. And... He's four and six in the playoffs. Now you take away his magical 2016. He has 11 touchdowns and seven interceptions in the playoffs. He's barely over 500 for his career on grass at 34 and 33. And if you look at his most formidable division opponent since he's been in the league, the New Orleans Saints, he's eight and 13 against them in 21 games. Look, I'm not saying he's not good. He is, but to me, he's around a 10 to 12 best quarterback in the league, not in the top seven, not elite. You know, for the next three seasons just alone, I can think of 10 quarterbacks. I can list 10 quarterbacks I would definitively rather have. Jared Goff, and I I wrote this list out. Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and Phil Rivers. I would easily have those quarterbacks listed as quarterbacks that I would take over Matt Ryan for the next three years. I could list another five or six that we haven't even seen enough of yet, but I could move into this category likely by the end of the 2019 season or going into the 2020 season. Now, let's talk underrated. Now, one of the single most underrated players in this league to me is Russell Wilson. Now, Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round and supplanted the free agent signing 
Matt Flynn as starter back in 2012. For his first three years in the league, which included two Super Bowl appearances, everyone attributed Russell Wilson's success to other parts of the team. Oh, Legion of Boom, they're so great. What a dominant defense. Oh, Marshawn Lynch, beast mode, best running back. Listen, those, those aspects are, are true about the Legion of Boom being a superior defense and Marshawn Lynch being a great running back, but Wilson has only gotten better since those other units faded and departed. He's also had a bottom seven pass blocking line in each of the last three seasons, including bottom three both of the last two years. Yet, he continues to both win and crank out statistics. He has never had a season worse than 9-7 and seven in his seven seasons as quarterback in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, and Peyton Manning haven't done that. Only Tom Brady has out of the crop of recent elite quarterbacks. Now, Wilson, since the start of the 2015 season, has 129 touchdowns and 37 interceptions, nearly a 3.5 to 1 ratio. Tom Brady, the immortal Tom Brady, has one more touchdown and one more interception in that same span. Now, Wilson has more touchdowns than Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, and the previously mentioned and touted Matt Ryan. You know, even in the dubious Super Bowl interception game, coming into that Malcolm Butler play, he had two touchdowns, no picks, over 60% completion percentage, and nearly 250 yards passing against a Belichick's Patriots Super Bowl defense that was humming. Now, Pro Football Focus put together a grade for quarterbacks based on a clutch ability, looking at some of the core metrics and found that only Brady and Rodgers are marginally ahead of Russell Wilson. Listen, Russell Wilson is elite, and he is what drives the success of the Seahawks. I always laugh when I see people predicting the Seahawks to finish 7-9 or 6-10. It's never happened under Wilson. 8-8 hasn't even happened. Now, before we recap last week's takes and get into this week's action for week three, I have to rant about Roger Goodell. Now, news was released within the last 12 or so hours that Antonio Brown was cut by the New England Patriots after further allegations came out from the woman who filed rape charges against him that he apparently was sending harassing text messages to her. Now, listen, you could call this guy a moron, which I'm not saying he isn't, but this is a severe mental health issue. And this is the Antonio Brown zone, folks. If you saw a news headline with anything coming up in the next few days, would you even for a nanosecond say, no way, that's not true? If you heard Antonio Brown is tanking, is, uh, is taking a, a crack at UFC fighting. Antonio Brown is involved in a hostage situation at a bank. Antonio Brown got arrested for having alligator fights in his backyard. Antonio Brown got into a physical altercation in confronting Bill Belichick. Or Antonio Brown went to a massage parlor with Bob Kraft. Is any of this stuff not believable? No. So the league is waiting for now to suspend Antonio Brown, even as a free agent, until legal proceedings play out. And the league wonders in Goodell why they have an image problem at times. My wife, Jen, asks why he gets booed on stage during the NFL draft. It's shit like this. He sucks. And your officials are horrendous too, Goodell. About 50 to 60% more holding penalties through two weeks. Nice work, guys. Nice work. Slow to discipline, 
gives violent domestic abusers passes on games suspended in the absence of video. <coughs> Greg Hardy. The NFL reduced his suspension from 10 to 4 games. Go Google what Greg Hardy did if you aren't aware. Oh, but excessive celebration and taunting is bad for the league. Don't want to offend Billy Bob in rural Missouri to see a, a jacked black man dancing on TV. Adding rule after nonsensical rule. Give me a fucking break. Fucking Goodell. Week two recap, coupled with week two, week three storylines after this. So last week I was loud about there being a massive overreaction to week one. There's, there wasn't a huge correction week two, but don't worry. It's going to come either this week or next week. I still am steadfast on the fact that the Patriots aren't going 16-0 or 10-0 and the Jets aren't starting 0-6. Injuries will settle. These things, are, these things that we've seen for two weeks is so much friggin' hyperbole over. My God. So the top five storylines this week, in my opinion. Number one, I mentioned already, Daniel Jones is replacing Eli Manning as starter for the New York Giants. Number two, will the Lamar Jackson magical Mario Brothers star power end in Arrowhead this weekend during the marquee matchup when the Baltimore Ravens face the Kansas City Chiefs? You know, what is... Patrick Mahomes' mean regression look like. It's just another unreal start by the guy. Everybody, everybody said he was going to regress. He hasn't done it. He hasn't done it yet. Will the number three is that start storylines go? Will the 49ers and the Bills stay undefeated? Number four, are the Jets and Dolphins really a combined 43 points worse than the Patriots and, and the Cowboys? It's like a college like dog spread this week with, the, with both of those games. So early in the season, very atypical. And then five, can Mitchell Trubisky show doubters like me that he's any good? Or will he suck again? The Bears pulled off a nice win overtime against Denver last week. Trubisky had a, had a throw after a BS personal foul penalty, if I, if I may add. But he did have a nice clutch throw. He has had a penchant for being, being clutch at times, but he sucked most of the game. Tim Tebow was clutch too, by the way. I think that's his most relevant comp. My ham... Sharp hot butter knife picks against the spread coming up next. All right, let's start in Green Bay, where the Denver Broncos are traveling to Lambeau this this Sunday and getting seven points. I like Denver plus seven. Now, the line opened at Green Bay minus six and a half and moved up to minus seven. To me, this is all about name and reputation. If... Green Bay was facing halfway competent quarterbacks in the last two weeks. They'd be no better than one and one Now, listen, Joe Flacco is not the player he was, but I think he's better than both Cousins and Trubisky. Aaron Rodgers is also not the player he was at almost 36 years old. Let's look at the distribution as far as tickets go. 89% of the tickets and 79% of cash on Green Bay, meaning more square money by 10 percentage points. Now, I'm still a bit unsure of Vic Fangio as a head coach, but I'm even more unsure about Matt LaFleur, Packers rookie coach. The Broncos are better on a net yards per play basis than the Packers. They're almost a full yard better, and they're getting a touchdown. Denver's 0-2, but outgained Chicago last week by nearly 100 yards. I expect Denver with Fangio 
who's very familiar with Aaron Rodgers being in the D.C. formerly of the Chicago Bears for, Bears for the last four seasons to at least keep this game close. Once again, give me Denver plus seven against the Green Bay Packers. All right, next, let's go to Philly, where the Detroit Lions are getting five and a half points against the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I like Detroit plus five and a half. The line opened at Philly minus seven and has moved down a point and a half. Let's look at distribution. 45% of tickets are on Detroit and nearly three quarters of the money. So to me, this is about, this is this 30 percentage point difference means there's sharp money on Detroit. I know they're a punchline franchise and Matt Patricia with his, with his beard and his, and his pencil on his ear. He had a rough year last year as his first year as head coach. But this team has looked solid for two straight weeks now. It should be 2-0. Now, I have skepticism about Matt Stafford. But he has over 600 yards for two games this year. Five touchdowns, two picks, 8.4 yards per attempt. Weather is not going to be a factor in the Northeast. It's beautiful outside. Philly has cluster injuries on their offense at receiver in, in uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and lost key defensive starter Jernigan last week against the Atlanta Falcons. So give me the Lions plus five and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if they won outright in Philly. Lastly, let's go to San Francisco, where the San Francisco 49ers are giving Six and a half points against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like the Niners minus six and a half. The line opened up at a pick before it was announced that Roethlisberger was out for the year and it jumped after the injury news. Now, as far as this distribution, 70% of the tickets are on San Francisco, but 79% of the money, close to a, a 10 percentage point disparity. Now, I don't love taking favorites, but this is their home opener and they opened this season with two impressive road wins at teams people don't think too highly of, but they're two road wins nonetheless. Now, I expect them to be sharp in this game, and we know very little about Mason Rudolph, who now has replaced Ben Roethlisberger as the quarterback at Oklahoma State. Once again, give me the Niners minus 6.5 at home versus the Steelers. So my picks to summarize, Denver plus 7, Detroit plus 5.5, and and the San Francisco 49ers minus 6.5. Quick story, and ham rant after this. All right, so my wife's birthday was a few days ago, and um, we went to this section of the Bronx called Arthur Avenue. And it's a bit under the radar gem within New York City. For those of you who don't know, that is a little less touristy version of Little Italy. And we've been together for 12 years. We talked about going... For years, we had a really nice lunch. We popped into a few Italian bakeries. It was a beautiful kind of late summer, early fall type day. And then we went to the Bronx Botanical Gardens. And it's a beautiful park. They have a ton of art exhibits uh, like throughout the entire year. And you have to pay admission again into the Botanical Gardens. Um, and really, on top of parking, it's a tough pill to swallow. But, I, but you know, at first it was, at least for me. But I was saying this to Jen you know, you really are just paying to walk in nature in the middle of, of New York City. And this park is like juxtaposed, you know, around all this chaos and noise. And, you know, it, it's it's in the middle of New York City and there's probably 15% of the people of Central Park. And you're essentially paying for like 
a low volume of people and to walk around with minimal fear of crazy people around in the bushes. So I took off of work for her birthday and we drove our daughter to school in the morning. And as we were heading back home, we turned off a main road in our town to a side road near the train station. Now there was a gentleman who looked stoned or drunk at 9 a.m. crossing the street. Now some other facts to bear in mind, um, it was this is a, as I'm making a right turn onto the street, he's kind of crossing what there was no crosswalk, but you know I didn't see it as a big deal and was happy to yield to him as a pedestrian. I, I think that's probably still the law even with no crosswalk, there was a stop sign. So, um, but what pissed me off was this guy was not only walking at a snail's pace, but he started walking in a diagonal line. So he's like he's going from like crossing the imaginary crosswalk and into more of the road where we were turning onto. And he's just staring at his phone completely oblivious or unconcerned with me as the driver and anything that was going on around him. And he just seemed like he was being, a, being an asshole. Now, I had a split second where I said to myself, Chris, don't do it. Don't do it. But I ignored my pleads and I blared down on my horn for a solid second and a half to two seconds. And um, as I looked in my rearview mirror about three car lengths up as I approached the stop sign on that road, I saw this dude double flip the bird. He's yelling some expletives at me and he began to jog toward the car. Now I was about to roll down the window and yell at him, but thankfully my sweet wife, Jen, said, you know, in a, in a, in a very sobering moment, what are you doing? And I accelerated and then the guy realized he wasn't going to catch up to the car. And listen, this is foolish to me. Just because I'm in my town and it's the middle of the day, you never know how crazy people are. I didn't see if this guy had had any any neck tattoos. He didn't look like he did. He didn't look like he had any crazy tattoo coverage. But I, I still should have been better about this. Quick rant next. Now, one thing that really annoys me is when I'm walking down a street, particularly in New York City, but it happens in any other city, sometimes in like a very bustly town even too, and it's common at night that you have sometimes a, a crowd of people that exit a restaurant Without any care in the world. These people don't look in any direction and continue their conversation on the sidewalk and just block any pedestrian traffic. It just really just pisses me off. And it's the equivalent of you as a driver turning out onto a busy street and not looking in either direction. Get your head out of your ass. You know, it's just another example of the self-absorbed nature of people. Now, unless this is an elderly person or a pregnant woman or a child, I'm at least walking and lightly – I'm at least walking lightly into them to make them aware of this gaffe. But it's probably often really even just futile because if you're that self-absorbed, you probably don't even realize that you're at fault here. And you get, you're going to get mad at the pedestrian for walking into you. So the moral of the story, if you leave a restaurant, particularly into a city of several million people, look left and look right for the love of God. Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham Podcast. Please follow me on Twitter, at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.